0: This audio recording is presented by City Church Orlando. Happy Mother's Day! <clears throat> nice, thanks, Jesus. Uh, if you were here for Easter, the um, the Sunday of the year that you're supposed to talk about pastel colors, flowers, hope, resurrection, life. we we came to this passage in Mark where we hear the story of John the Baptist who's beheaded by King Herod. And we've just been kind of going through this book of Mark together as, as a body for I don't know how long now, probably seven, eight months. And so when Easter came along, instead of talking about that once a year hopeful resurrection story, which we actually did talk about, the text was about this man named Herod, who did not want to kill John the Baptist, but was painted into a corner by his own addictions and slaveries, his addictions to partying and drinking and his sexual deviant addictions. And uh, his greatest addiction of all, what painted him into the corner and caused him to kill his friend was his desire to be approved of by the elites of his city. then today, we mosey on along Hopefully God didn't send too many people away with that sermon. And uh, we get to Mother's Day. We find a woman in intense pain. We find a woman who comes to Jesus and it says in the text, and in Matthew 15, Matthew's parallel account to this, we find out that she is constantly and incessantly and rudely begging Jesus to do something about her little daughter. We don't know exactly exactly how this possession by the demon is manifesting itself in this little girl. But we know this from Mark chapter nine, a story we'll come to in a couple months, hopefully on Father's Day. We'll hear about a little boy that's being demonized by Satan. And it says very clearly, the demon's desire is to destroy him. It is to cast him physically into water and fire and try and bring an end to his life. And you can only imagine Moms of little toddlers, how difficult it already is to keep a two or three year old safe. And then you just add on to that Satan's personal attack on your child and his desire to destroy them. And so this woman in incredible pain comes up to Jesus. And Jesus, if you missed it, called her a dog. Or Maybe he didn't call her a dog, but he at least told a metaphor in which she could understand that he was insinuating that she is a dog. He's saying, my word, me, my story, my message is the bread, I'm the meal. This is a theme that's been going through the gospel of Mark. And he says, not only that, um, there are some children in the world that are gonna eat first. He's talking about the nation of Israel, and we'll come back to that in a little bit. And he just says that you're a dog. And, and the hard part for me in this is the reality that if I were going to just make an outline of the quintessential mom, like if I was just gonna say, this is what I think a great mom is and would be, I, I don't think I'd go anywhere but to this woman. I mean, she has absolutely no rights, no privileges. She should not be in the presence of Jesus. She should certainly not be entering into a house where a rabbi and his disciples are. And yet she will not be deterred. And so one of the great things that it takes to be a mom is persistence. Just not giving up when you want to give up all day long. And then the second thing I think that it takes to be a successful mom, if I were to just think through the scriptures, is the idea of prayer. That mom's the most persistent thing you can do, the most important thing you can do, the most redemptive thing you can do, the most powerful thing you can do is pray for your children because you and I, we lose in our minds a lot of time the reality that the same Satan, the same devouring lion, the same one who has demons under his control, that one who wants to kill and destroy us also wants to kill and destroy us our little ones. And so the only way that we can really engage in spiritual warfare is to pray that the overcomer, that the champion, that the achiever, that the one who was destroyed so we don't have to be destroyed, the one who died so we don't have to die, the one who is, the great I am, the one who lives forever, and those who are united to him by faith live forever as well. And so the great work of a mom is the work of prayer. It is, as we will see in this text, the constant begging, the constant suing of God to be gracious to her children because he said he would be. So with that being said, not only is this woman in incredible pain and not only is she exhibiting, even at the very first part of the story, what I would consider to be really strong. (laughs) Everything gonna be okay back there? All right. If the sermon stinks now, it's their fault. I was on a roll. Um, Just kidding. So not only is this woman in incredible pain and exhibiting what I would long for in each of our moms, but Jesus is incredibly offensive to her. I'm gonna try and help us understand this text. I'm gonna walk us through this time this moment in time, what's actually happening in this moment in time, what's happening in Jesus's ministry, what's happening um, in redemptive history, that is the plan of God to save his people, what's happening between the Jews and the Gentiles, particularly the Syrophoenicians. I'm going to try and explain that to you and help you begin to understand that this is actually quite loving what Jesus is doing here, but it's, it's not going to take away all the offense. I can't possibly begin to take away all the offense of it and we shouldn't be shocked by this. One of the themes in Mark that's been going on and on and on is this offensive first slice of the gospel. The first part of the gospel just cuts us to the core and says you're not worthy. But then the second part of the gospel is I love you anyway. And so we shouldn't be shocked by this offense but I would also tell you this, I think we come into this interaction between Jesus and this woman and we have Don Imus in our heads. You remember Don Imus? I don't know anything about the guy. I've never listened to his radio show. I just know he was on public news because he made what some considered to be racist comments. And he says, oh no, it was just all in fun and really deep down in my heart. I really love all sorts and types of people. But he got fried for being politically incorrect and I have no idea if that was justified or not. All I'm saying is this, as much as I try and explain this to you, I can't take away the political incorrectness of what Jesus does here. But I would also say this, according to Ephesians 2.8, he is the giver of faith. And somehow, some way in Matthew 15, when Matthew is talking about this story, he records Jesus' delight in this woman. He records Jesus' surprise from this woman. I think he's energized in his ministry by this woman. And he says, oh, woman, great is your faith. It literally uses the Greek word mega. Mega. You have mega faith. And so the one who gives and draws out faith can do it however he wants. And in this case, he does it in this offensive manner. But to unpack it, let's look at this moment in time. Let's look at dogs and puppies. And let's look at faith that transcends time. This moment in time, dogs and puppies, and a faith that transcends time. First, where are we in Jesus's ministry? If you haven't been with us, Jesus has been looking for a break for a long time. Jesus had sent his disciples out two by two. They come back with successful stories of ministry. They're all worn out and tired. They've been just going at it really hard. And Jesus has been trying to find his disciples a break. He didn't get the break out in the wilderness they were looking for. 5,000 men showed up wanting to make him king. He didn't get the break he was looking for in Gennesaret where the, the boat finally landed when his disciples finished that episode. He's now trying to get outside of the land of Israel and find a break. He goes to Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon is the epitome, is the epitome of Hellenization, It's the epitome of Gentile culture. It is the place in the Bible through history so far up to this point that the Israelites were never, ever even close to making an impact. The woman that's most hated in scripture, I believe, is the woman Jezebel. And she is from Tyre and Sidon. I mean, Tyre and Sidon is this place where no moral, traditional Jewish man or woman would go. It is the place of unclean dogs. And so Jesus, looking for a break, goes right up on into Tyre and Sidon, and he says, I don't want anybody to know I'm here. I wanna go in a house. We need a break. I need to debrief with my 12, and then this woman shows up. So that's where Jesus is in his ministry. He's desperately desiring a break. This is where Jesus is in redemptive history. I can only just say this. I can't defend it. I can't articulate it uh, fully, and this might be somewhat offensive to some of you, but I'm just gonna have to say it. This is how God has determined, has decided. This is how he has planned to save all peoples. He, he has a salvation and a redemption that's for every tribe and tongue and people group. He has a hope of reconciling the entire world to himself and his children that are in that world. But what he has said over and over in scripture from the Old Testament through his gospels into the New Testament, particularly Acts and Romans, is this idea of I am going to save all all of those people groups through the nation of Israel. Now, I can't explain any more than that. I cannot even begin to get into the reality that Paul now says we are all Israel. I can't even begin to explain to you that there's something that's still going on in the land where Israel used to be, and yet we are all, those with faith, we are the true Israelites. I'm just giving you a sense for when God planned redemption before time, he planned to do it through this nation called this geopolitical entity in the Old Testament called Israel. And his plan was to bless even this woman through Israel. And so when Jesus says in his famous verse in verse 27, when he says, Let the children be fed first, he is saying to her, I am here under the marching orders of my heavenly Father, accomplishing redemption exactly how he wants it accomplished and I don't understand it. I just fought for 23 verses with them. I've elected 12 of them that are lunkheads and they're traveling with me right now. But for some reason, God has said that we're gonna go to the people groups through Israel and he must first fulfill fulfill what the Old Testament says about Israel. I can't say any more about it, but that's why he says first. Now next, where is he in the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles? If you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament's very clear, not only that God wants to bless all the peoples through the Israelites, but God says to them over and over. We read it in 1 Chronicles this week. We read it in our Psalm yesterday. He said, be very careful not to get arrogant and proud because I've chosen to redeem the world through you. He says over and over, don't forget where I found you. Don't forget where you were when I set my affections upon you. You were not mighty. You were not rich. You were not many in number. You were slaves in Egypt when I put my love on you. And I did that so that my mercy, my grace, my sovereignty might be displayed in you and through you. But we looked last week at where the Jewish culture is now in Jesus's day when this story is happening. They've completely forgotten the, we're gonna bless everyone through you part. They've completely forgotten the, I was weak and broken and without any options when Jesus saved me part. And now they refer to anyone who doesn't follow their traditions as dogs. Why dogs? Because dogs are the most unclean, unkempt, vicious, vile animal in the ancient Near East. Don't think Lake Eola. Don't think little kicking puppies, those kind you should kick. I'm just totally joking. Don't think (laughs) little precious dogs, fluffy and foo-foo. When the Jews called the Gentiles dogs, it was because dogs would scavenge the land looking for things to eat and they almost always ate dead things, including people. And so this is where Jesus is. He's tired, he's needing a rest. He is at that moment in history where God the Father is telling him, do all of your public ministry inside the boundaries of Israel. And he's at this place where the woman who is the lowest of the lowest on the totem pole of Gentile people is begging him for mercy. That's where we find him. And so Jesus' response to her, we're gonna go and look at it directly right now, verse 27, it brings in both of these realities. It brings in the reality that God said, go to the Jews first, and it brings in the reality that he knows that the Jews have been calling them dogs. And so he says in verse 27, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. This is what Jesus is saying. I'm not here for you right now. I'm here for a break. He is saying the Gentiles will be satisfied in time, but I want you to be patient and wait on my timing. But there are two parts of this phrase. There are two parts that give us hope. There are two parts, two parts, excuse me. Woo! (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) There are two parts about this phrase that clue us into the loving nature of Jesus and not him just being offensive, racist, chauvinist. The first is the word first. He is telling this woman, in time, I will be more than what you need. In time, I will be sufficient for your child's needs. In time, we will spread my kingdom to all the diversity of the world and it will be beautiful. But secondly, and this is the part where we're gonna talk about puppies and dogs. Jesus does not use the word "kyon," which is the word for dog. He uses a diminutive form of that, a smaller form of that. He, he uses the word which literally means little dog, little puppy, family pet. Dogs, kion, are the ones that are outside that you must protect your kids from. Little puppies before they grow up and the small ones that never grow up, they can stay in the house. And Jesus says to her, you're a mom. You know how this works. The little puppies in your house are gonna get fed from the food that's on the table, but it would be wrong for me to throw the little dog some food before the children have had their fill. And so Jesus is cluing her into the reality, I know they call you dogs, but if you can let this not be offensive to you, you're a little dog to me and I will take care of your needs. So then this is what Jesus says to her. This is the statement of offense. This is also the place where she can find hope if she chooses to do so. And so we keep reading in verse 28, but she answered him, yes, Lord. Did you know she's the only person in the gospel of Mark to call him Lord? The only one to submit to him and say, you're God, you decide how all this works out. Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. When Jesus hears this, I'm gonna come back to this and unpack it, but when he hears this, he says, literally, good answer. Based on this answer, you may go home and find your daughter healed. In Matthew, when Jesus has been more rude than in this passage, he has been more consistent. He was ignoring her. His disciples were begging for him to do something about her because she was driving them crazy. And finally, he says to her the first time, I came for Israel. And then he says this same statement about the little dogs. And when she says, yes, but there's a crumb on the ground, may I please have it? He says, oh, woman, you have mega faith. First, she is saying to Jesus, and yes, Lord, this is faith if you're trying to figure it out from a biblical perspective. She is saying, I have no rights in and of myself. I get it. I don't have the law. I live in the wrong part of town. I'm a woman. I have not been going and participating in Passover worship. I don't have any idea what's going on in the Torah. I just know I'm a dog. And yet I have heard, chapter three, verse eight, some people from my region that have found you and found that you will be merciful to people, and that you will help people. I have absolutely no rights in myself. I have no cover letter. I have no credentials. I should not be approaching you. The only thing I have to bring to you is my desperate need. And ironically in the gospel, this is exactly what qualifies her for her relationship with Jesus. But not only the first half of faith, gospel faith, is the idea that I have no rights in and of myself when she says, yes, Lord. She is the first person in the book of Mark. She is the first person in the book of Mark to understand one of Jesus's parables. You know why she doesn't get offended? It's a parable. Up until this point, Jesus has been teaching in parables And he's having to tell his disciples later what the parable meant because they couldn't get it. And this is the first person in in Jesus's ministry who hears a parable, a metaphor, a simile, and she walks right into it. She claims her spot in it, which is the dog. And she says, but still, if we could take your story one line farther, when I feed my children and they're messy, crumbs do fall to the ground and I do want the puppies to eat it right then. Could I please have a preview of what you're gonna do for my people? Would you be so kind to go out of order and allow my little daughter to feel your mercy and grace and your healing right now? Do you see this? This is what faith is. If you're looking to understand what faith is, it is a rightless assertiveness. It is a rightless, R-I-G-H-T dash less. I have no rights. And yet because of what you have said, I'm going to be assertive. I'm going to be rude. I'm going to storm the throne room of grace, not because I have any merit, but because you have all the merit, not because I've done anything to earn credentials, but you have all their credentials, not because I can say anything that keeps me in there, but you have said, come in and ask for whatever you want because the gospel is this offensive reality that you're both wicked beyond anything you could ever imagine and loved beyond anything you could dare to dream. Do you get this in her response? Do you get this? Jesus preaches this all the time. What is the response he wants from every sermon? Repent, I'm wrong. You're right. I have no credentials. I am wicked. Repent and believe. But even without any credentials, even without any merit of my own, even without any goodness, even without any obedience, even without anything, I have no education, I have no family, I, I don't even know where my husband is, I don't have anything going for me and I'm not claiming any of those things when I walk into your room and beg you for the life of my child. The only thing I have is that you said first. And that told me that you have good plans for me and I'm here because you're good, not because I'm good. Isn't this an incredible, incredible irony? You and I, when I read that passage, all week long I was thinking, oh, this is the worst Mother's Day sermon ever. I cannot believe I've got this passage this week. Do you you see the unbelievable irony in this? This is a little crass and I apologize for it, but I already said fart and so we might as well keep going. (laughs) Hey, have you seen that video on YouTube or on America's Funniest Video where the, the monkey is scratching his behind and then, and then he smells it, puts it to his nose and it knocks him off the log he's sitting on into the water? If I could get a picture in your minds of how the disciples are doing right now, that's kind of what I'd like you to see. If I could give you a picture of how I'm doing right now, kind of what I'd like you to see. (laughs) Do you see the beauty of this woman? Do you see how gorgeous her faith is? Do you see that she says, I'm not going to get my back up when you say something offensive. I'm going to pursue you because you're so gracious. Do you see her saying, yes, Lord, you're in charge. I'm not in charge, but you're so incredibly good. And that's why I'm here the ones with the thousands of years of history and promise of Jesus saying, we're gonna bless everyone through you have been fighting him from day one and they're now plotting with the Herodians to kill him. His disciples, their hearts are hard and they don't yet understand. They don't remember all that he's done. They have watched him for seven and a half chapters do amazing gospel redemption and yet they can't even begin to understand. And this woman has one offensive sentence and her predisposition towards Jesus is so Faithful, she says, could I please have a crumb right now? And he says, I delight in you. You have mega faith. There's two ways for us to miss the gospel in closing. And, moms, I want to particularly talk to you. There are two ways for us to miss the gospel. There are two ways for us to not storm the throne room of grace for our children in their desperate hour of need. These two ways are to be too proud. That is to say, the first half of the gospel offends us. And the other way is to be too despondent. That is the second half of the gospel doesn't grip us. That one, we can have a superiority complex. I don't like what it says about who I am in my heart. Or we can have an inferiority complex. I can't believe that he would love me like a daughter like that. And what will begin to melt our hearts? What will begin to give us this sort of repentant faith? What will begin to push us towards Jesus saying, you're right, I'm wicked, but you're good? What will begin to do it? It will only be the cross of Christ. Do you understand where Jesus is going to go in a matter of months, if not weeks? He's gonna go to that trash heap where the dogs are circling and looking for a dead body. And he's gonna die on the cross for this woman and her little girl. The one who knew no sin will become sin so that she might become the righteousness of God. The one who is the eternal son of God will become a dog so that she won't become a little puppy. She will become God's dear little girl. I guarantee you right now, these two are in heaven having a blast. The only thing that will begin to melt our hearts is the gospel because on the cross right there, our wickedness is proclaimed. You're this bad, you're this evil, you're this broken, you're this wounded, you're so messed up, God had to climb on a tree to make it okay. But you're this deeply loved. This, you're this deeply wanted. This, you're this deeply enjoyed. These are the links I'll go to to get you because I love you. Moms, when we enter into prayer for our children, I beg of thee, do not say I've obeyed. Do not say I've achieved. Do not say I've made good decisions in parenting this child. Do not say I've prayed for years and years. Do not bring anything to the throne room of God in an effort to twist his arm. The only thing that twists God's arm is knowing believing, saying, and living out of the reality that we can't twist it. And he has said, that's when I'll twist my own arm is when you enter in with this kind of faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this text. Lord, would you forgive us for our the way we bring into your word our presuppositions and our thoughts and our meager ideas. We thank you for your incredible grace. We thank you for your incredible goodness. We thank you for your promise. We thank you that you are saving us because you said you would, not because we deserve it, not because we're doing well, not because we're obeying, not because we're achieving, but you said so. And just like Isaiah the prophet, I sue you for this. I come into your courtroom and I sue you for your goodness, not because we deserve it, but because you have promised it. And I beg of you for each of our children that you would change their hearts. Would you please give them soft hearts? Would you please give them hearts that understand the gospel? Would you please give them the ability to understand how broken and how loved they are? Would you please cause them to live out of your love and goodness and out of your righteousness and your mercy and your forgiveness and your compassion? Please rescue the children represented by the moms in this room. In your name we pray, amen.